The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Aces Up the Sleeve podcast are solely those of the individual guests or hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Pocket Aces Racing LLC or Lilium Garland Media nor any other mentioned parties. Opinions expressed are not necessarily endorsed by the hosts, Pocket Aces Racing LLC or Lilium Garland Media. The Aces Up the Sleeve podcast is provided for private entertainment purposes only. Aces Up the Sleeve assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of the episode. While we do our due diligence to the best of our abilities, the information contained is provided with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. Any advice or opinions provided by or expressed by our guests are those of said guests and said guest alone. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Aces Up the Sleeve. I'm Patty, co-hosting with the co-managing partner of Pocket Aces Racing, or PAR for the quick reference, Jared Shoemaker. And today we are going to be joined by another very special guest in our interview series, Caitlin Free. Um, as some of you guys have seen, she is a reporter and analyst at Churchill Downs. You may have seen her on the live stream. She does also uh, some of the reporting and, and analysis work up at Turfway, uh, Turfway Park as well. Uh, you may have seen her on your screen. So we thought, hey, we'll sit down with Caitlin and, and pick her head and get to know her a little bit better for maybe some of our listeners who haven't met her or seen her face before. But before we get started into that, Caitlin, how are you doing today? And again, thanks for joining in on our on our interview series. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing good. Just having a relaxing Monday since uh, Monday for some of us in racing is a little bit more of an easy day. Yeah, <laughs> we're very lucky that way. Jared, I mean, how are you? I know usually you're fine as frog hair, but has anything changed? Or are you still fine as frog I'm hair? Fine and dandy today. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, the sun's shining and uh, the dog, I got one of the dogs up here in my lap, knocked out cold and you know, we're just, uh, just enjoying a pretty Monday. Life is good. <laughs> yep. So in this podcast, we're going to shed light on all things Pocket Aces Racing. We're going to talk about the finer points of syndicate ownership. We're going to discuss what the partners, the listeners have asked us to talk about. We're going to interview folks uh, from the industry who like Caitlin have agreed to come in and sit down and chat with us a little bit. And hopefully by the end, you're going to be enlightened, inspired, you're going to be entertained. You're going to just get a lot out of these episodes and we're glad that everybody keeps enjoying them. Um, so before we roll into our sit down with Caitlin today, we actually have a little bit of an update for the dialed in Philly, Miss Honored Promise 22. We posted about her on our social medias, but in case if you haven't followed us yet, which you should, by the way, but in case you haven't followed us yet, she's got she's got a, a quite an interesting update on her on her family for her half brother. Yeah, big update on this three-year-old colt by Klimt, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he's one of those horses that that they ran him several times at two, and and you know, he hit the board three times and six starts at two. But you know, it looked like he just wasn't quite he wasn't quite ready to be uh, a racehorse just yet. And he has since won his last two starts, uh, maiden special weight at Aqueduct, and then an allowance optional up at Aqueduct. 
And, you know, he, he so they, they were paid, they, they ran him several times, yes, but they were patient with him. They kept him in maiden special company and just, um, you know, get, they, they knew they had their hands on something. So they, they, they were patient, let him develop and, and come around, let him learn some early lessons in those, those first few races. And um, he's just come on like gangbusters the last two times out. Um, uh, his, uh, his maiden win was uh, going seven furlongs on the dirt. And then he won a salty little allowance optional um, at Aqueduct yesterday going six and a half. And, you know, it, it, Mark and I were talking about it. You know, neither one of these wins were races that, you know, just had some kind of crazy uh, speed up front and fell apart. And he just happened to be the last one standing at the end. But, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he, he went toe to toe with, uh, I believe it was the favorite. Uh, and, and he went off at eight to one toe to toe with the favorite uh, all six and a half furlongs and, and got up and, and held on the last little bit to, to win yesterday. So really impressive uh, um a uh, couple wins and, and he's going in the right direction. He's got a hundred and some odd thousand dollars in earnings now. And, and just a nice little update for our Philly who, who, you know, we've, we've never thought of her, to, uh, thought of her as being one that's going to be an early two-year-old type. So, uh, you know, maybe there's a little, uh, yeah, some similarity between the two. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's just interesting because I feel like, you know, her brother was what we would call a value buy as well. He wasn't, he was actually a very, very inexpensive yearly and they pick, pinhooked him into something pretty nice for the two-year-old sale. So somebody saw something in him and, and he's clearly paying that forward. He's paying that back for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was like $5,500 yearling and yeah. $100,000 so, uh, the two-year-old. So uh, yeah, you know, he, he's, I'm guessing he's you know, probably similar to her. You know, she's a great looking nice physical and um you know something that we you know, we didn't expect to be or don't expect to be super early and and that was probably similar with him so uh, the, the, the his name is ridgewood runner uh, if you guys want to check him out but uh really exciting to see that update for her and uh, uh hopefully he keeps continuing to go in the right direction and make uh, make her a little more uh, uh you know just a little bit nicer down the road for us so there yeah. we go absolutely thinking of the future my friends <laughs> So in this week's edition, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to sit down with Caitlin. As I said, she is a reporter and analyst at Churchill Downs and at Turfway Park. Um, we're going to talk to her a little bit about what got her into horse racing, how she preps for her job on camera. I know for some folks like myself, being on camera is just just the scariest thing ever. So we'll pick her brain on how she does that, and we'll you know we'll we'll find out what some of her favorite moments and memories in in racing or, or during her her time in her positions are and. So, Caitlin, if you want to just get started on your like a little introduction for maybe some of our listeners who um, don't know who you are or haven't can't really put a face to the name yet, and then we can kind of get going from there. All right. Sounds good. So my name is Caitlin Free. I am the paddock reporter and one of the lead analysts at Churchill Downs. And I also do the same work at Turfway Park as well as Colonial. I picked Colonial up uh, last year since it's also a Churchill Downs property. And I've done a little bit of Ellis because there's kind of like a gap between some of those meets. So sometimes I will do a couple of weeks of Ellis too. But uh, Churchill, Turfway, and Colonial are really my mainstays at the moment. And I'm also very interested in love international racing. So if you're not familiar with me domestically in Kentucky, you may be familiar with some of the stuff I do, like with the Japanese horses and some of the European horses as well. So I, I just have 
interest everywhere. <laughs> How did you break into this? So, because I mean, you're you're from Ohio, I believe, is what you shared mm-hmm. with me previously, correct? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we have racing in Ohio, but it's not exactly you know a a hotbed of thoroughbred mm-hmm. racing. So, just kind of talk to us about what what started you down this path. How did you become a fan of racing initially, and then turn it into your career? Yeah, thoroughbred racing definitely, as you said, is not really a hotbed in Ohio, but I kind of grew up around harness racing a little bit. Some of uh, my aunts and uncles and my cousins on my mom's side, they um, own and train harness horses. So I was kind of around it that way, but I've always loved animals. I've always loved horses. I, I knew that in some capacity with my job, it had to be something with animals, whether it was something like this or something on the veterinary side, which eventually I did go to college to do sports medicine for horses. Um, And it just kind of ended up this way. This was always something that I wanted to do. I remember um, my parents took us to the Kentucky Derby Museum as kids and I was just hooked and I liked it so much better than harness racing. And I was like, man, I could really do something in this, whether it's veterinary work, whether I want to become a jockey or I want to do something different. So I, I just knew that this was always the industry that I wanted to be a part of from a very young age. Okay. So you, so you went to school for, um, I guess, veterinary science, sport medicine for horses. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to school? Um, I went down to Hawking college. Uh, that's okay. uh, close to um, Ohio university. I had two years at Ohio university getting my generals and then I finished at Hawking. So they're very close together, but Hawking's kind of more of like a specialized type mm-hmm. of school. They have nursing, they have veterinary work, stuff like that. So that's where I ended up going. And I finished there in 2017. So, you know, Ohio University obviously has got a, a, a fantastic, um, a fantastic program in, in sports and athletics administration, athletics journalism, sports journalism, that sort of thing. So did you take did you do any of those, you know, obviously that's what, what, what you majored in, but did you take any, did you get involved in any of the, the, the broadcast journalism uh, programs that they had down there? I did. Classes? I started, I, I took a few of those classes and I did some of like the communication type of studies. So yeah, I did get involved in that, but that's definitely something that um, OU has been known for is kind of their broadcasting and their sports journalism and stuff like that. So that was definitely something that was of interest to me. And I did take a few of those courses. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, for the folks that don't know, my master's degree is in athletics administration and it was basically born right about the same time at, at Ohio university and UMass. And those were the two biggest and most you know, prolific in terms of turning at turning out, you know, professional folks in broadcast sport journalism, sport broadcast journalism, you know, athletic directors from you know major universities all over the country come out of Ohio University. So I'm very familiar with that program that they've got up there. So it's a, it's a great program. It is. It is. I I loved every minute that I was at both schools and everything you know that I did, and I felt like I got the type of education that it would take to kind of use as a starting point in this industry. And of course, Ohio University is renowned um, <laughs> across campuses everywhere for Halloween. Uh, it is honestly kind of like the party school to end all party schools. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. When most people think of OU, they don't think of some of the great things they have to offer academically. They think of people falling off light poles and falling off balconies <laughs> on Halloween and, you know, just crazy things. And of course we have the fest season. There's always concerts and stuff there. So it's, it's a big party, but it's also a good school in general. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic school. And great atmosphere is what the yes all right so i digress i could sit around and talk about that sort of thing all day so let's let's talk a little bit more about okay so you get out of school and you're you're ready to pursue your your career in in racing um take us down that journey how you know take us down that path what what led you uh, eventually to churchill downs and turfway park as being a race analyst were you a handicapper before and you or did you hone your handicapping? I guess you're always honing your handicapping skills, but uh, you know, how did that develop? Yeah, I, I kind of was. I did some contests and played in various angles. And of course, when I was home or wherever, I was still obviously just betting and doing my thing. But I started writing articles and doing different columns for various websites when I was probably... 18 or 19. So I had done that while I was still in college, um, okay. working toward my degree, but I was getting my foot in the door. And my first uh, major job after I graduated, um, I went out to California for a couple of years and I worked on the customer side of doing marketing and taking care of some of the higher level customers at TVG. So that kind of got me familiar with the behind the scenes and business aspect of racing and from a major publication and broadcasting. And I learned a lot while I was there. I moved back to Kentucky um, at the end, mid 2020, something like that. So I moved back to Kentucky. And of course, there was COVID going on. You couldn't really do anything. It was hard to, you know, go get interviews for jobs. So I did some things from home for a while from a couple of different websites. And um, I know Joe Christopher and Scott Shapiro very well. I've known them for a number of years and there was a potential that they were going to be looking for a new analyst or a paddock reporter, you know, somewhere along the lines in there. And I had a conversation with Joe. We talked a couple of times and he's like, you know, I think it would be really good for you to try out. We'll see if you could be a good fit. So I think I had my first show with them mid 2021, fall 2021, something like that. And been there ever since it feels like you've been doing it a lot longer than that I know it does feel like I've been doing it a lot longer than that I think it's because it's I don't ever really have a time where I'm not on air somewhere other than like a little bit in October when we're not doing anything with because of Keeneland but then in April when Keeneland's running we're doing a ton of derby stuff and all that. So there's never really a time I feel like where I'm not in people's faces. So it probably feels like I've been around a lot longer. <laughs> oh, she's everywhere. We can't get away from her. <laughs> we can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm interested. So I, and I, I'm always fascinated by, you know, racetrack announcers, uh, the, the racetrack tellers, the, the, the people that follow as, as part of their careers, their livelihoods, they, bounce from track to track to track throughout the year it's got to be just 
it's got to be incredibly difficult, doesn't it? To, to you know, you pick up and you move to well, and, and maybe you do it. Every, you're doing everything remotely now. I, I, I don't know, but I, I know I see you in person at Churchill. I've seen you in person at Turfway. Um, I assume you go to you go to Colonial. You're not just doing it mm-hmm. from home, right? Yeah, it, it's a balance of everything. Um, sometimes we will do Turfway <clears throat> from the studio at Churchill because we have a very nice studio at Churchill that mm-hmm. will reach anywhere to any of our properties. So. That's how we do Churchill sometimes, or I mean, Turfway. Um, although I have been going there on a lot of the bigger days in person, obviously, to do interviews and report. Um, that's how we have done Alice in the past. And then Colonial, I um, at least for 80 to 90% of the me, I am there in person and I just stay at Airbnbs or hotels. Um, and do kind of like the extended stays, but there's like two weeks out of that meet where I will come back um, and just get my stuff together and I'll do it remotely from the studio Mm -hmm. there. Um, But I would say out of the, I believe it's eight or nine weeks that we race at Colonial, um, six to eight of them, usually eight or so, I am there in Virginia. So that was probably the most challenging thing was being away pretty much my entire summer in another state where I only know racing people. I don't have any family, you know, my significant other is there unless he wants to come out and hang out, which he does a lot, but I've just kind of have to, had to get acquainted with the area, find things to do. And I did. And I started going to the beach a lot on off days. And I really, I've really liked that added extra type of adventure i guess so i'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to doing it again but it's it's a lot of traveling it's a lot of being away from home and it's you know you really have to be dedicated and want to do this job i think to do it the right way so any any uh thoughts or is any discussion be going to any of the other tracks uh you know fairgrounds or um in in any of the other churchill-owned facilities i think fairgrounds could definitely be in play fairgrounds absolutely i didn't get a chance to go down there this year um and i probably won't for louisiana derby day since it's on the same day as jeff ruby that's kind of the problem is our two big days line up so that's that's been a little bit challenging but i'd say that'll definitely happen within the next few years as we kind of move pieces around and somebody Mm -hmm. could help me out at turfway if i went down for risen star or the gun runner or you know, the comp, something like that. So that'll definitely be something I would think that would happen. I've done all of them, but that one. So I don't right. see why not. <laughs> so what's your favorite track? Where, where do you prefer to, to dig into the book and start, you know, looking at the races and prepping for your day and, and being there and you know, what, what's your favorite track that you're currently doing? As far as, working and like being able to give out information to the public finding horses that I want to bet on finding horses that are good value to players definitely turfway but as far as just like a working experience being around people and just really enjoying my job I would say Churchill and then from a fan aspect where I just get to go I get to be myself and just take it all in Keeneland okay excellent uh, the, the Turfway answer surprised me, but man, ter- racing at Turfway has just exploded. 
since Churchill took over. It's taken off. The purses have gone up. Big outfits are wanting to run there. I don't think people are like scared or hesitant about running horses on the tapita as they were at one point because a variety of horses can handle it. You know, if you've never tried it, sometimes the horse will handle it. Um, if they like turf, if they like dirt, it kind of really doesn't matter. It seems like it's something that's kind of equal opportunity, which I guess sometimes can kind of make it a crapshoot. And that's why everybody likes it. Is because right. a lot of random things happening and it's uh, it's a puzzle, but I'm very much um an like a later day night type of a person, so I feel like I'm just really in the zone and I really have a lot of fun when I do turfway. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just I just remember you know when we first started doing this years ago, we first started sending horses there. You know, obviously the purses were not were not stellar, no. uh, and everybody in Kentucky left. Uh, you know, you, but now, you know, we, we're, we've got one, we've got two running on Wednesday and in the maiden special weight, I mean, you've got owners like, you know, like you see it at Churchill, you know, Godolphin and you've got Brad Cox has got a couple in there and I think Ian Wilkes has got, you know, just all, all the major names, all the major trainers, uh, main, main owner, major ownership groups, they're all at Turfway Park. And it used to be you know, small outfits in the winter could go there and they could kind of get healthy for the year and get them catch up on their, on getting on their wind pictures and then you get the, get their pictures taken a little bit more often, but man, it has just gotten to be some of the best and most competitive racing anywhere. It is. And that, that's what I love so much about it is it's still open, you know, to everyone. You see a variety of owners and trainers and jockeys winning at Turfway. Um, I, I think it's super cool when somebody who could quote unquote be, you know, the little guy that just has a really good horse could go out there and beat a Brad Cox or a Godolphin horse because that surface is just so evenly matched that if you have a horse that likes it a lot, you can pretty much take on anybody at your level there because there's so many things that can happen. It's one of the best tracks if you want to do trip notes as well, because there's a lot of crazy things that happen there. So it, I just think from a handicapping and a betting aspect, it is such a puzzle, which I know can be frustrating to some people, but I take that as a challenge and I really do enjoy it. Well, and from the so development for, for your aspect, job, go ahead, Patty. Well, I was just going to say, and for even from the development aspect, the fact that Idiomatic got her season going at Turfway says a lot, and she's the uh, the Breeders' Cup winner. Yeah, and there's that, that's a great point, and there's been some really good horses that have came out of Turfway. The last two Turf Sprint winners started their seasons there and were training there, Caravelle and No Balls. Um, of course, we had Rich Strife that won the Derby in 2022. Two Phils almost won it in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Botanical, I think, went off as the second or third choice in the Kentucky Oaks. So there's just so many good horses that are based there that, you know, it's kind of proven that this is something that works. The track keeps them fit. The purses are good. That maybe, you know, if you don't want to spend the extra expense of going to Florida or Louisiana or Arkansas for the winter, you don't have to. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and you know, it's, and I know folks have heard me talk about it before, but it, it really, there, there's not a whole lot of things that I um, feel good about our state legislature doing, quite honestly. But when they came together and finally 
you know, codified the historical racing and, and or, you know, slot machines, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but when they codified that into law and it, and it allowed uh, Churchill to make a, a major investment in Turfway Park and make winter racing in Kentucky legitimate again, it just changed the game for so many people. Uh, the fact, you know, you, you used to run a maiden 30 there used to be $11,000 purse. That's ridiculous. That uh, you know, about 5,000 claimer, you'd be running for 8,000 bucks, maybe sometimes 7,000. So uh, the fact that the, that our state legislature finally came together on something, and I don't know that we've come together on anything since, but the, <laughs> they came together and, and, and codified historical racing and it's done wonders for uh, Turfway. It's, it's helped obviously at Ellis Park. Uh, you know, Kentucky Downs adopted it before anybody else, uh, before it was, you know, officially good to go. I mean, I guess that, you know, they it had been had received the one uh, judicial ruling in its favor. But, uh, you know, Kentucky Downs didn't wait, didn't wait like the other tracks did to go ahead and go full bore into it. So they've been reaping the benefits ever since. And um, so it just it just shows that when you create a strong system with strong purses, uh, you're going to get the horses. You're going to get people to that are going to be based there, and they're going to race there, and you're going to get full fields, night in, night out. Yeah, I think really the goal of Churchill, of course, with helping with Keeneland and Kentucky Downs, is to create a full circuit in Kentucky that continuously runs where horses don't necessarily have to leave. You can stay here all year round if you think that's what's best for the horse. Obviously, it will pan out monetarily because the purses are better you're not having to ship so you know it obviously is a grab bag if you're going to have a horse that likes the all weather but at least you also have the options too that if you don't want to turn them out on a farm but you still want to just give them a little bit of time a lot of these places are open for training year-round too which also really helps oh yeah we i, I love the fact that turfway is year-round training now uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we have several trainers that keep their horses there all the time and and I love it. I love having our horses trained at Turfway. So, um, so now let's get into a little bit more about uh, you know your your typical day. So uh, it, it's it's race day at at Churchill. You know, middle of the week. What does a day in the life of a track analyst uh, announcer look like? How, how do you go about your just your every day to every day day to day stuff? And does it differ as does it differ on a, a really big day than it would on just you know a normal a, a Thursday? It's definitely different around Derby time, but I would say just on a typical Thursday at Churchill, there's nothing overly special going on. Um, I would get up and I, a handful of days out of the week, more times than not, when I'm working, I will get up around six thirty or seven and also go to the backside in the morning. Um, try to gather as much information as I can, watch some of the horses train, see who's doing well, talk to some trainers, talk to some jockeys, talk to literally anybody that is back there because a lot of times you're going to get good information about horses back there. You're also going to get a lot of stuff you didn't ask for. I got a lot of football <laughs> and basketball tips while I was back there. <laughs> but it's just, it's cool to start your morning just kind of like around that crowd. You never know what you're going to hear literally whether it is obviously racing related or just anything else and just kind of getting comfortable and making connections feel comfortable around you 
that way you can develop those relationships with them. And then I, you know, go get coffee at Starbucks or at the track kitchen and get ready um, to start my day, like actually for racing. So I will head um, over to the main building, uh, park, head in and um, meet with our team, whether it's our directors, our producers, Joe, Scott, you know, everything like that. Um, And then we just kind of have a meeting, a general outline of the day, what we want to cover potentially for every race since I'll be in the paddock and they'll be upstairs. Um, anything we have to throw extra in getting all of our picks done, betting tickets, all that stuff. And then we do our pre-show, which typically is 45 minutes to an hour before the races. So we get that done. I do a couple interviews or videos that I have to do, and then it's off to the races for the day. Okay. Now do you typically play the, 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 wagers that you recommend throughout the course of a card i don't do it as much at churchill because i'm not on air on the desk as much where i'm actually giving those out but if i do a lot of times yes i definitely am a little bit more bullish about playing them at turfway um because i feel like that's where a lot of my handicapping strengths are there because i do it every day and i have a sense of the variables i know the horses very well i have a feeling of you know, maybe how the track is playing that night. And I just feel a little bit more comfortable doing that. But most of the time we are actively playing a lot of the time. Um, Some pools we can't wager into some pools we can. So it just kind of depends. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we, a lot of stuff that we do offer up, we legitimately stand by and we'll put our, our money behind. So the pools you can't play, is that just like an in-house restriction more than anything else? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. It's something that they've had set up here for a while. They just, you know, don't some of the bigger wagers, they don't want us playing into those pools, which I understand at the same time. I don't. But um, yeah, that's <laughs> they, definitely they, something. They don't want you ahead. taking home a $100,000 pick six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Because <laughs> they're like, mm, I don't think that that's your money to take. But um <laughs> Yeah, I'm everything else that we can play, we obviously absolutely play. So, do you have any big hits, big you know, big scores that you that you touted and uh, that that came home uh, that really stand out to you? Anytime people ever reach out and say, "Hey, man, I played that long shot, and you killed it," and that sort of thing. Any of those things that really stand out and uh, that you'd like to share? There's been a few in the past few years. I would say a big one that I did, um, it was at Churchill. It would be two years ago this year. It was in one of the turf stake races here. I think it was just a listed stake race. I had gone on another radio show and I had talked about, you know, I love a long shot horse today. He's going to be my live long shot of the day. It was Keita Dawn um, in the... Um, I don't know what race it was. I think it was like a restricted listed three-year-old race at Churchill on the turf. And there's several of those. So I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure which one it is off the top of my hand. I have to pull up his past performances, but I like that horse. I think he was like maybe 30 to one on the morning line. He went off at 46 to one nice. and got up by less than a head. And I remember I was like about to tear that place down. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that was, that was a big one where, you know, obviously I had given it out in multiple places and that money obviously felt good in my pocket as well. Um, but there's been a good one this year. Um, it was actually the first day of the meet here in 2024. It was like, it was a $5,000 claim race and I I looked on paper and I thought there was a chance they were going to go relatively fast but it was still like a five horse field and I was like hmm I don't like any of these horses in here and I think they're all going to be forward but I think this one I don't see her having any speed and if these ones are going to stop when they show speed which a lot of times they do they're all in here together so I'm going to play her and she went off at 24 to 1 she won pretty easily so I would say that's that's definitely been my biggest one of the year. Um, she's actually back in next week. I'm trying to remember her name off the top of my head. I'll have to look really quick. Um, but that was that's the biggest one that I've had so far this year. But I mean, it always feels good when you give out a winner um, in any capacity. It feels good when you get kind of that type where you can do like a double you give out a really good exacta trifecta anything like that um even the pick sixes and pick fives that we don't really get to play but we still give out to the public um if one of those does really good that always you know feels amazing for me even though there's kind of not a lot I can do with it like the um the other day it's been about two weeks ago um it didn't pay a ton I think it was just a little bit over two thousand bucks because there wasn't a lot in the pools and there had been a couple favorites that hit but I uh gave the pick six out to the public a couple days or a couple weeks ago at Turfway so still definitely you know good for the reputation and if you had it and played along with it I'm 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 ecstatic for you that's that's fantastic in the uh just in general, you know, maybe not where you where you've been working, but just favorite moments uh, over the last couple of years. Favorite horses, you know, anything like that that you've seen, been a part of that just uh, that jumps out. Not necessarily from the handicapping standpoint, but just uh, you know, story wise, that sort of thing. I'd say just over the course of my life, and I'll bring up some recent ones since I've been working. Game on, dude, has been my all-time favorite horse for so many years now I don't know why I've just always loved that horse and I actually I'm hoping I'm going to be able to start in March or April I actually am going to be um, working and sometimes on my days off as doing tours and volunteering at old friends and a lot of it is just because I want to be around him for as long as I can um, he and I have you know, kind of a special developed a special relationship and he's always been my all time favorite horse. So I just kind of want to give back to him in that aspect. So he's definitely one of my all time favorites. Um, as far as recent horses that I've really kind of enjoyed watching and, and being around, um, it was, it was very cool to see um, flight lines last career race in person and just kind of be right there and be able to get in the paddock and get close to him. I thought that was very, very special. And he's the best horse I've seen um, in person since I've been watching races. I still think probably the best horse I've seen since I have been working was probably Frankel over in Europe. But those two, I always have just felt very strongly about that. They were some of the greatest horses of all time. So mm-hmm. they were very, very cool to watch and obviously spending time around a flight line was very special. But I would say one of the more 
special memories and memories that I will carry with me for the rest of my life was in 2022 when I was working the Derby, I just stayed in the paddock and watched the Derby. Um, I didn't wander out onto the track like I do a lot of other times and kind of just stand right there. It was just like a little bit more quiet in the paddock and I just kind of watched it from there. I didn't know that um, I knew him because of Turfway and growing up in Ohio, but I didn't know that Eric Reed was about six feet away from me. Oh, I remember this. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. And I didn't even, I couldn't even tell because of course you can't hear the call because it's so loud. So I thought it was Happy Jack when they crossed the finish line because he was number two and then Restrike was number 21. And um, Sonny Leone's leg hid the one on 22 on 21 and it was like a lavender saddle cloth so it looked the same and then I was like there that's not even the same silks because I think happy jack had like black silks and I was like there is no freaking way this horse just won that race and I was the most familiar with him out of everybody because he had ran four times at turfway and I just kind of was like eh. you know I'm glad that they got in that's a once in a lifetime type of experience this man literally fainted a few feet away from me and that's oh, how I realized that's how I realized that this horse had won and I had no idea who it was at first. I was like, mine that bird was really exciting, but you'll never see something like that ever again. That's wild. I didn't realize That's like, bad, I just assumed they fell over because they were doing like their huddle thing. I didn't realize he'd fainted. That's wild. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that he, he fainted. I, I literally <laughs> think he went lightheaded and collapsed, which I would too if I trained that horse. I mean, on paper, <laughs> that horse had no chance but i mean just the way the pace melted down and he lo loves that surface and he likes going the distance it was it was the perfect storm and i would say if you run that race a hundred times he wins it one out of a hundred times yeah if sunny leone uh one on one on one of our horses i think in a, like a 7500 claiming race at belterra park the summer before that uh-huh and his family was there and you'd have thought that he won the Derby that day because the the family, you know, they they had come from, you know, they were in in town in the country and and they just lost their minds. And they asked if they could come into the winter circle with us. We're like, absolutely, come on, you know. And you know, they just spent a lot of time talking with us before the race and then after. And I cannot imagine their reaction when he won the Derby because the, you, I I would have thought that he won it the day that day at Belterra Park in that you know seventy five hundred dollar claiming race or five thousand dollar claiming race, whatever it was. So I would have loved to have been able to just see that. I think Sonny is such a good guy. He's honestly one of my favorite people to be around, you know, in the jocks room and in the paddock in general. He's so gracious with his time. He did a really awesome interview with me um, a few weeks after Rich Strike had won the Derby. And I think it didn't set in for him for a really long time because he was legitimately shocked during the entire like ceremonial process his mouth was just open for so much of the time i mean they really believed that the horse was going to want run a good race but i i really do not believe that any of them thought that that horse was actually going to win oh uh, yeah who did i mean it's just, right it's not... <laughs> like i don't i don't even think he had a call until the last like 20 feet or something no, like that he either. didn't <laughs> No, and I, I think he was, you know, he was, I think he was last most of the way around, or if not, he was very, very close to the back. He, yeah, and I mean, he didn't get much of a call, and then he just, you know, came up the inside, but 
it, it was really the perfect storm because he's a horse that finishes powerfully and epicenter and Zandon are two just kind of like grindy types mm-hmm. that just kind of go out there and do their thing. So, I mean, he flew by them. Like it, it was very easily the way he went past them too. And it was, that is the most shocking thing I have ever seen in racing, let alone my entire life. <laughs> and and to actually, you know, be working for that, I thought was really, really cool. And to have seen that horse, I had seen every start of that horse's career up until that day. I had seen every single start he had made. I'd been on air for it because it was either at Churchill. I, I think there was maybe one at Ellis. And then the rest of them were at Turfway. So I knew the horse super well. And I was the one that discounted the horse the most because of that. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, when's the last time we saw a horse come out of Turfway that was, you know, that was even really seriously in contention to win the Derby, much less actually win it? I guess Animal Kingdom. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't really know how seriously he was taken. I mean, he was kind of a oh, little bit of all. an outsider. It yeah. was the same thing for Hanson. Like he was, yeah. he was winning by poles at Turfway, uh, Turfway. And then when he came in for the, I think the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at, at Churchill, between, I mean, yeah, he be, he barely hung on, but it was like, I don't think anybody legitimately thought that Union Rags was not going to be able to catch him. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, there's been some definite cases of that. And I'll, I'll remember Hanson with the dyed tail and, yeah. mm-hmm. you the great know, storm for that. <laughs> yes, yes, there was definitely some interesting goings there with Hanson. Hanson, was he like fourth or fifth in the Derby? I think somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. He didn't do I think he, all that bad, all things considered. No, I think he ran well. So a lot of horses, you know, that have been quote unquote legitimate that have come out of either the Jim Beam, the Spiral or the Jeff Ruby have actually done really, really well in that race. I'm actually going to check right now because I'm curious. <laughs> I It may have been like sixth or seventh, but I know he wasn't absolutely disgraced. So, yeah, so he ran, he, he ran ninth. Okay, well, never mind. Too bad. We, I mean, he, no. he. Your top half. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, really, it isn't bad. Like he, he's, he wasn't a, 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 in a sense, a disgrace in any way. Interestingly, too, because like he won the juvenile, he was second in the Holy Bowl, and then he flew Taquedoc for the Gotham, which he won, and then he paid, He mm-hmm. they also took him to the Toyota Bluegrass, where he played second. So like, yeah. this horse basically had more of a long-running derby prep than, than a lot of horses did and the fact that he ran ninth is is impressive all things considered so, and all ninths aren't created equal in that race so you got that right yeah <laughs> so uh the final question that i've got for you is the one that i i try to ask all my guests or some variation thereof uh so you know the, the sport is in a constant state of change and i think mm-hmm. You know, right now more so than ever and everybody's got uh, solutions to what fixes the game uh if, if you imagine that for a bit that you're queen for the day mm-hmm. and you're in charge of north american racing and you can make one big change what would it be it's a tough question that's a really tough question um i would say if i had to make like one change. There'd be a lot of changes I would want to do first and foremost. <laughs> you, can, you, can give, you can give me more than one if you'd like. That'd be great. 
one thing that I really, really want racing to adopt so it is more accessible for fans, for us to get new fans, for us to get more gamblers, and to take care of the gamblers that we already have, I think we need to make past performances and information free to access. I think that that is a huge problem. There's no reason to have these hidden behind paywalls, which in literally every other sport in known to man in the world, you can look up any player's stats. You can look up any player's profile, the way they've done in the last couple of games, you know, literally every statistic that you want to know about a human being is available. Why is it not available for a horse trainers and jockeys? I mean, these subscriptions, whether it be, you know, Brisnet, Equibase, DRF, Formulator, um, Thurographs, Ragazins, all of it, it's astronomical. And I I don't, it's ridiculous. And I I, I mean, I guess that you have to pay for all of them because it's a market. You have to pay for all of them. So they want to have the most things and be competitively priced. But why is any of it cost money? That is something that has always driven me nuts and I think would, you know, help out a lot of gamblers and bringing new fans in if people could have access to that information. And I think they would be a little bit more eager to learn if they could actually, you know, learn things. So I I would say that would definitely be, uh, you know, a good step. And then other steps that I I would probably take, um, I would change a lot of things about HISA, if I'm being honest. I think the um, the changes that they have made regarding medications that you can give for horses, whether it be some degrees of, you know, electrolytes, butte, things to prevent horses from tying up. A lot of those medications, the fact that you can't, you can, you have to give them so far away from race day more than you ever have in the past, I think is doing a huge disservice to the horses themselves. Um, And I think that's why we're starting to see some more injuries. Not that I believe that people should be giving stuff to mask horses, but I mean, what football player, gymnast, anything goes out there and doesn't have some kind of, you know, ibuprofen or they have some lidocaine that they spray on. Um, Lidocaine is a bad example for horses, but you know, Sometimes when they use like an ACE patch or something like that, that's all widely available to them. They're able to drink Gatorade. They're able to drink water. They're able to take supplements before they go and compete. Why is it fair for us to do that to horses if it's not something that is performance enhancing and it's only something that is making horses, you know, feel their best on the days they're being competitive? So the fact that those have to be 72 or farther out, I think is... I, I think it's harming the game. Could not agree more. I, we, we had to take a horse off EPM medicine 48 hours before a race. See, and that's ridiculous. Like I own a small portion of four horses at the moment. Um, and one of our fillies, we ended up having to scratch her. Um, she was in, she had tied up like five days ahead of time and I mean we would have maybe scratched her anyway because it was so far in advance it actually wasn't five days it was maybe a week or something Mm -hmm. like that so I mean the chances of her being scratched with something like that happening was 50 50 but I mean we didn't even have the option to give her any type of medication if we wanted to run her so we had to scratch yeah and 
you know, trainer. I, I can get going and start and talk and, and yeah. go forever. We, we, ha we have to clean up the sport. There's no doubt. In no question. And, 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 and the people that, and, and it's not difficult. You walk along the backside and you ask who the people that, who, what barns are cheating and everybody knows, mm -hmm. you know, yep. we got to get those people out of the game. And, and hit them with the, everything we can possibly hit them with and get them out of the game. But, that, and, but we're, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You know, and the powders, the powers that be need to stop handpicking who's also going to get in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And, and quite frankly, the owners, uh, you know, I, that's my role in this more than anything. And I'm an owner and owners have to take responsibility too yep. and quit sending their horses to the people that habitually cheat and that they know are cheating. And then, and, and it, you know, grandstand and defended and. Yeah. And so, you know what, if, 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 if you continue sending your horses to trainers that, that have been multiple offenders and they're still getting, you know, still sending their horses out there and you're still sending your horses to them, you know what, your the owners ought to get suspended too, quite frankly. No, I agree with you. If there's a type of, something that is obviously nefarious that shows up on a horse and is blatant, I think the owner should absolutely be suspended because the chances of them not knowing a lot about it, I think are slim. I know there's easy ways to hide things on vet records when they give them to trainer or owners. And, you know, you see the bill, you see what your horse has been given such as that. I know there's definitely been instances where owners genuinely did not know, but I think more of them know than what the don't. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. All right, we can back and again. I, every time I get on this, I could, I could go on. I could go on. <laughs> I know, I could go on three or four hours about this sort just, of thing. Just about because I mean, that has that's really been something that going through veterinary courses and knowing horses, you don't know horses if you think a lot of that is going to be correct. And I'm not saying that I think that they should be pumped full of pain medications or they should be routinely getting view and stuff like that. But as far as electrolytes and yeah. giving horses proper supplements and nutrition before race day, that is something that is very essential. And to want to be really strict on that and take those away, I, I just I think is wrong. Yeah, the, so much of the focus has gone in the wrong direction uh, on all this. And and as, and again, and you know, and I still do believe in due process too. Mm -hmm. absolutely as as much as I, i've wanted to see people you know that cheat pay the price for it uh you still can't just uh, just say you know make a make a, an arbitrary judgment you're suspended for the next two years no trial no nothing done get your horses out of the barn within the next 24 hours uh, it's, it's 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 asinine it's all <laughs> a it, it's a very hard um, all of it is just, yeah. it is. Okay. Let's get back to some happier topic. What, 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 what <laughs> races you got coming up? Have you looked at the card for this week at Turfway? You see anything that's jumping out at you yet? Or do we have to wait? We need to wait for uh, Wednesday. Might wait a little bit to Wednesday. Um, I okay. took a pre-look at it this morning. I'm going to really start diving deep into it, um, a little bit this evening before I finalize all of my stuff, but a uh, good card coming up on Saturday, good card coming up on Friday. We've got the, uh, Cincinnati trophy, the points race, um, going into the major prep race here before they go to the Kentucky Oaks. Um, and then of course the Bataglia 
is the prep for the Jeff Ruby. Both of those two races, um, the Cincinnati Trophy and the Metaglia, offer 20 points on the road to the Kentucky Derby. And then, of course, the two major races are 100 points. They're an automatic entry um, for, obviously, the winner. And a lot of times, the horse that runs second, too, um, for the Derby and the Oaks. So just kind of gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what type of fields we would maybe get for those races. The Bataglia came up really strong. I'm surprised that we are seeing Epic Rideback, who has won the other two previous um, major races here for the three-year-olds at Turfway. I thought maybe that there was a chance that he would maybe skip the Bataglia and then go to the Jeff Ruby, but I think they're just really wanting to get some more starts under this horse's belt and continue to stretch him out and actually run him. So he's going to be running in there. Um, and then we have some horses that are shipping in from Florida, the uh, Northeast, um, Fairgrounds, Oaklawn for the races this weekend. There's a couple of horses out of town from the Cincinnati Trophy that are coming up from other places. And then there are definitely some outer towners um, from for the Bataglia. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing your picks uh, this weekend before I put any money down on them because <laughs> you're a hell of a lot better at this than I am. That's for damn sure. I appreciate that. I'm actually going to be really excited because I'm going to be able to be on location at Turfway doing interviews and like doing a little bit more than just sitting at the desk this weekend. So I'm excited to get back out there. I think it's going to be some great weather, great racing. So I'm really looking forward to it. Very good. We are as well. So again, uh, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I've thoroughly enjoyed this and um, look forward to seeing you in the paddock at uh, perhaps Turfway sometime before the meet closes. Definitely at Churchill uh, this uh, late spring and summer. And uh, Patty, take us on home. Absolutely. And I will echo what Jared said. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for, for coming on, taking some time. I know you're a busy woman. So thanks for taking the time to come on with us this week. Our listener count is, is rising. We see everybody's support. We really appreciate you guys. So make sure that you are following us on all of our social media channels. We're Pocket Aces Racing on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel. You can hit that bell. Make sure that you get those notifications. Make sure that you are subscribed to that YouTube channel. And as I remind everybody, have a happy Wednesday. Have a good Wednesday. Make good choices. And the podcast is out.